Good morning. Um, I am, as uh, Frank said, Pastor Frank, the um, publisher and executive director of the Messianic Times newspaper. And if you're not familiar with it, I hope that you'll become familiar with it and uh, pray about supporting it. We share the message of Messiah around the world in a unique way by sharing the good news about what the Lord's doing among Jewish and non-Jewish people uh, around the world in places like Israel and Turkey and former Soviet Union and uh, Milwaukee, you know, places like that. Am I on? Okay, cool. So anyhow, I wrote a book, not going to talk a whole lot about it, but it's a science fiction evangelism book. deals with time travel and government conspiracies and uh, anyhow, it's first in a three-part series. They're 10 bucks. You can get one after service. And then for those that want to make a donation in Messianic Times, for any donation, you can get this wonderful uh, Messianic calendar, which has information on how to keep feasts and festivals and all that. So I have a question. Who wants the calendar? So whoever comes up first gets this one. And who wants the book? Same rule. Okay. Now, now that I've got all the commercials out the way, um, I have been blessed uh, to know uh, Rabbi Frank for a number of years, and uh, we have been friends and associates and troublemakers and all things as, uh, as we should. Um, I am uh, been married for 35 years to my lovely wife, Pam. And the only reason I'm saying that is in case you record this and she listens to it, I have to cover myself. I've got two sons, uh, David and Andrew. David is a rabbi, Messianic rabbi. Andrew is a police officer. So they both teach the law just from different angles. I have, uh, they married sisters and we are not from Kentucky. And I have uh, a grandson and two wonderful granddaughters that I am working on spoiling. Uh, my granddaughters had diamond earrings before they were born. And, uh, and uh, I'll be paying for those for the rest of my life. So anyhow, I want to share for a few minutes this morning. They only gave me an hour. So, uh, so I want to try to get through this as quick as possible. I have, uh, you know, when we read the Bible... Many times we read it uh, and we, we don't necessarily understand the context or put it in context and so on. Words have meanings. And, and when we come to the Bible, the words that are in the Bible really do mean something and, and they carry a weight. And if we don't follow that meaning and the weight of the words, then we miss out on the meaning of what, uh, what's trying to be said. And words can mean different things at different times. And do you have that slide ready? If, is it up? There we go. For instance, a pastor, a priest, and a rabbi walked into a bar. Okay. So, so words can have different meanings as we go on. So I was studying one day, and uh, I was actually praying and, and studying, and uh, 
I don't know how you study or prayer and all that, but I, when I get ready to pray, I get my Bible out and I kind of read the Bible and, and meditate on the Lord and try to hear his voice as his word comes alive to me. And, and a lot of times uh, I'll just be reading and, and, and I was reading along and I read Luke uh, chapter 23 and I don't have this on a slide, I'm sorry. Uh, if you don't have your cell phone to turn to, you'll just have to trust me. That, that this is what it's talking about. And uh, I, was, I was looking at things to try to understand uh, a situation that was going on with some congregants in my congregation, and I was praying and seeking the Lord. And, uh, and I, I was reading this, and, and I want, so I want to read it for you. It's uh, the 23rd chapter of Luke, and it, it starts with... Uh, uh, Verse 32, others, two evildoers, were also led away to be put to death with him, talking about Yeshua, Jesus, when they came to the place called the skull. There they were crucified with him, and the evildoers, one on right side and one on his left. But Yeshua was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his clothing. Then the people stood there watching, and even the leaders were sneering at him. And he saved, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is a Messiah of God, the chosen one, the soldiers likewise mocked him, coming and bringing him sour wine. And they said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. Now there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the evildoers hanging there was jeering at him, saying, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourselves and us. But the other one rebuking him replied, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence? We're getting what we deserve for our actions and rightly so. But this one has done nothing wrong. And he said, Yeshua, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Yeshua said, Amen, I tell you. Today you shall be with me in paradise. And so I was reading that, and it, it jumped out at me uh, a couple of things. And I want to share them with you. But I want you to understand that in the scripture, when we deal with things, there are scriptural patterns and scriptural things that go all the way through. For instance, in the very first chapter of the Bible, we read about light and water. And the very last chapter of the Bible, we read about light and water. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the end, it says we won't need a light because Yeshua or Jesus will be our light. In the beginning, it says and the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. At the very end, there was the sound of many waters. And we, these are all mirrors, and they, they go back and forth. We see the, the events of uh, Joseph and how they mirror uh, Yeshua, the events of Isaac and his sacrifice and how the, so there's patterns that go all the way through the scripture and so I was reading this and trying to figure out you know how does this affect the situation because sometimes when the Lord speaks to us and we're, we're praying about a situation and trying to to deal with things he gives us an answer and we go I don't get it you know I know you gave me the answer but I don't I don't have a clue what you're trying to tell me and so I was praying about it and trying to see and Lord how how does this affect me and how does this affect the situation and what you're doing? And I believe that God has given us a whole bunch of promises. Nobody in here believes that. Okay, good. I was a little nervous. I thought maybe I was at the wrong place. I believe God has given us a whole bunch of promises, and I believe all of his promises are absolutes. Nothing he says is maybe. You know, my children would ask me, Dad, can we go get ice cream? And I'd say maybe, possibly. They knew that meant no. <laughs> you know, but all of God's promises are absolutes. 
So I was reading this, and I thought about, first of all, what in the world is this conversation doing in here? I mean, this is the climax of all the events of history up until the, the death of Messiah is a centerpiece of everything that's going on. And in the middle of something that it seems like our focus should be directed solely on him, he has a conversation with a couple of criminals that are on the side of him. And I thought, why in the world would the Lord insert that in there? Surely it's not filler. Surely it's not just information to fill out the picture of what was going on. There has to be a reason why this conversation would be going on and what it was about. And I know many people look at it and say, well, the one guy got saved and the other guy didn't get saved. But I don't think that's actually the message, although it is a sub-message of what's going on. Because clearly the one guy gets saved and the other guy doesn't. By the way, the Greek word for that's translated thief most often in Bibles uh, is a bad translation of that particular word. And don't get mad at me because I say that. I, I, I spent eight years translating the TLV Bible with a team of people. So the, the Greek word is actually outlaw. Uh, but they don't use that in English Bibles because outlaw brings about the thoughts of Jesse James and Billy the Kid and things like that. So they made it thief, but it's actually outlaw. But it's not outlaw in the way that we would think about it, but it's against the law. In other words, these were rebels against Rome. This was not necessarily somebody who was just a mean, antagonistic, hateful criminal who was out robbing people, but he was someone who was against Rome's rule. Uh, another word that's used for that is a zealot. And we know about the zealots that died uh, on Masada and so on. So it's a different view. But he's, these two guys are up there, and he has this conversation with them. And clearly the one guy does not accept him as a Messiah. Now, he does accept that he could be. You know, it's a possibility. If you are... Why don't you do that? And unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our congregations that are standing right next to Yeshua. And right next to the understanding of his execution, his crucifixion, and all that's going on. And as far as they get is, if you are, why don't you do something? The other guy responds differently. And first he reprimands the, his counterpart. And then he speaks to Yeshua, and he says, Yeshua, remember me when you come to your kingdom. He absolutely knows at this moment that Yeshua is the Messiah and that he is Mashiach ben David, the conquering king who's going to bring a kingdom mindset back in Israel. And imagine the next statement with me as he says amen i tell you today you shall be with me in paradise now i want you to think about what's happening here because every word that's being spoken on these crosses is extremely painful in order to breathe they had to press against their bent legs lift up their body with the nails rending through their flesh and pressing against their bone and every nerve in their body is screaming at them as loud as they can just to get a breath and they're having a conversation. So important is this, 
that that criminal and Yeshua went through exerting themselves in that pain to be able to say those sentences so that we could read them today. And so that's going on. And he reaches out to Yeshua, out to Jesus, and says, remember me in your kingdom. And Yeshua replies by saying, amen. Uh, and that word, we use it, amen, is like the end of a prayer. But it actually means this is an absolute no doubt about it, thing that's going to happen. And in your Bible, a lot of times it'll say, truly, truly. In the Greek, it actually says, amen and amen. Sometimes it says, and I tell you the truth, which always bothered me when I read Bibles that said, and I tell you the truth, because it makes you think, up until now, I've been lying to you. <laughs> but this time, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's not what it means. It actually means this is such a surety that you can bank on it. And so he says to him, amen, I tell you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Now I want you just to think to yourselves for just a minute how that must have made this man feel. The sudden redemptive knowledge, the promise of God that he was going to spend eternity with Yeshua. All of the things that he would have hoped for, the perfect peace that would have came over him at that moment, and all of those things, and anybody who's ever prayed and asked Yeshua to come into their heart to, to become born again has felt that glimmer of that overwhelming peace that comes in when we accept him not only mentally as our Messiah, but spiritually and, and into our soul and spirit and everything, and we just get it and we know, wow, this is different, I feel different, I am different. And he had that moment. And I thought, you know, with tears as I'm praying that day about this, and I'm imagining the conversation and the, all that's going on and the pain, and then the amazing promise because I've had promises like that that were given to me. I've had promises in my life where I heard the voice of the Lord and he said, this is going to happen, and those things came to pass in my life. And so I, I know that voice and I know that sound and I know that feeling of that absolute promise. And I was just so overwhelmed at that moment. And then I thought of what the next thing that happened to that man was. At this moment of overwhelming joy, even in the overwhelming pain, at this moment of peace, while every fiber of his body was in pain. At that moment when it took everything he could do to breathe, he still had this unbelievable, total redemptive experience. He was at the highest point personally, emotionally, and physically ever in his life. And the next thing that happens is a Roman soldier comes up and breaks his legs. That's the next thing that happens. We have to read the book of John chapter 19 to find that, but that's what happens at this moment. And I started to think, wow, how terrible. What a drop. What a letdown from that such a high to the next thing, having your legs broken and then dying because he could no longer press against his legs to force himself up to allow oxygen to come into his lungs. 
so he could continue to breathe. So the next thing that happened to this man, right after this unbelievable promise experience, was to have his legs broken and die. But here's the part that we don't pay attention to, is that was the only way that God could keep his promise. Because he said, this day, you'll be with me in paradise. And that day was almost over. That day was almost gone. And I thought about that. And again, I was shaken and trying to figure out how this all works. And then I started looking at my life. And how many times in my life, God made me promises. And I'll give you one example. My mother, um, when I became a believer, my family had a funeral for me. And I was disinherited. I'm probably the only person you know uh, that has a gravestone with my name on it that I was actually able to go to. That's how serious my family was when I became a believer in Yeshua. My children didn't have a relationship with their grandparents for 15 years at all. And so, but at the same time, when I became a believer and I started praying for my family, the Lord said he was going to save her. He was going to save my mom. And so I started doing everything I could to reach out to my mom. And kind of, I'm sure, like many of you have, I started looking at every time I could get together with her and say, okay, now how am I going to scheme to get the message in? How am I going to turn this? You know, you go to, to watch a football game or you go to write a letter or you send a card or whatever you're doing and, and everything becomes, how am I going to make this happen? How am I going to? I wrote a letter to her and my father and uh, told them all about my faith and my father wrote back a letter and said, uh, if you'll just get out of that mess, I'll build you the house of your choice. And I wrote back to my, this is my stepdad, I wrote back to him and I said, my father in heaven is building me a house, I don't need yours. That was not the brightest move. Uh, but constantly trying to, and then I listed the scripture, you know, to, to help out. I just gave the New Testament quote in there. And so all this time, everything that I happened, everything in my life was focused on how I was going to help God to keep his promise how I was going to help God keep his promise. And what happened was events took place that took me out of the picture. And God revealed to me that he didn't need me to keep his promise. That I didn't need to preach to my mother. I didn't need to send her notes. I didn't need to direct emails to her and forward memes and, and all the kind of stuff that goes on. What I need to do is pray and do the things God actually did call me to do. That he was well able to keep his promises. And he shared with me things like Abraham and Sarah, who he gave a promise to Abraham, said, you're going to have children as many as the sand of the sea and the stars in the sky. And Abraham said, okay, God, I understand, and I thank you for your promise. Now let me help you out with Eleazar, and he can be my son because I don't have any children, and we'll just count his children. And God said, no, I don't need your help. And then Sarah says, Abraham, you don't have any children. I'm getting old. Why don't you uh, sleep with 
our servant and we'll count her children as our own. Now, especially to the young men in here, if your wife ever makes that suggestion, <laughs> the answer is no, okay? Just stick to your guns on that one. It's not something, and, and so, so the, 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 they have Ishmael, and then Abraham loves this child and yet has to be separated from him. There's a breaking that happens in Abraham's life over and over each time he tries to help God bring about his promise in his life. And we see this over and over through the scripture. We see Peter has the same experience. Samson has the same experience. David has the same experience. God makes promises into over and over people's lives in the scripture. And those people get excited about the promise and they understand the promise and they want the promise and they absolutely believe in the promise. They just don't believe that God can do the promise without their help. And so we see people like Peter cutting somebody's ear off to help Yeshua. And over and over through the scripture. And so I realized that if we get in the way of God by trying to be God, that we'll have to be broken in order for the promise to come to pass. We'll get brokenhearted. Things in our life won't work right. We'll struggle. Anybody ever struggled financially because you thought you had to help God out by paying your bills so you didn't pay your tithes or give your offerings? Well, I know God promised that he'd never see the righteous forsaken or begging for bread, and I don't have enough money for both, so I'm going to help God out by deciding how I should do my money instead of how he decided to do my money. And I promise you, in my experience, and is that everybody pays tithes. Everybody. It's just a matter of where you pay them. You're either going to pay it to the synagogue or the church, or you're going to pay it to the car shop, or the washing machine repairman, or the roofer. You're going to pay the tithes. It's, it's not yours, and it's going to be paid. The difference is if you give it to God, he's going to bless you for it. And if you give it to the roofer, he's going to thank you for it. Okay, But we have to understand that God doesn't need us to fulfill his promises. And so the first step is to understand that, that he is God. As we saw the criminal on the cross, he recognized the deity, the divinity, and the messiahship. Then he went through this, and, and, got, and there's a breaking. And then in order to fully receive his promise, he had to die. And it's the same thing in our lives. There's not a promise that God made in my life that I didn't have to die to myself in order to receive. That I didn't have to get myself completely out of the way, separate from, to receive. My mom, when she uh, was about to pass away, uh, we went to a bar, uh, a bar mitzvah uh, in uh, North Carolina. And while she was there, she said, I just don't feel right. And we said, okay, well, you know, when we get home, we'll go to the doctor. And we drove from North Carolina. We got to Atlanta, and she said, I've got to go to a hospital. And so we took her to the hospital, and they found out she had uh, stage 4 pancreatic cancer. And within two weeks, she was gone. Now, during that two weeks, I was travailing in prayer. Lord, 
she hasn't expressed faith. She, you promised me, and she hasn't done this, and and went through this whole thing of how, you know, again, because we go through these things again. You know, the children of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, went to the same place over and over. The reason is because they didn't learn the lesson they were supposed to learn there over and over. It's the same reason you have financial problems over and over, and you do the same thing over and over. You know, the, the uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. We've brought that wholeheartedly into the body of Messiah. And so we do the same things, expecting a different result. And so I'm going through this same thing. Okay, Lord, I know she's going to die. They've only given her a few days. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How? And one day we were gathered with my brothers and, and my sister, and my mom is in the bed, and, and she knows. And, and I just said, Mom, um, you know, you're going to die. And uh, we're going to have to do a funeral. We're going to have to do stuff. And, and I just need to know. Uh, where do you stand on stuff? You know, Mitch, my brother Mitch is Orthodox Jewish. My brother Bill is a charismatic Christian, and I'm a Messianic Jew, and my sister Randy just tries to make all of us happy. And so I said, you know, you know what Mitch believes, you know what Bill believes, you know what I believe. I just want to know what you believe. And she said, I want to have a Messianic Jewish funeral. And I said, well, that's nice, Mom. I, I appreciate that. I said, but does that mean you believe in Yeshua, or does that mean you just want me to do the funeral? And she said, oh, I believed in Yeshua for years. <laughs> and I said, grrr. <laughs> now, I didn't vocalize that. That was all somewhere in here. And, and so I said to my mother, Okay, Mom, because I'm thinking as a rabbi, you know, I have lots of other Jewish people that I'm sharing with. And here's Mom, and she'll tell me, Mom, what was it? What, you know, what was the thing? What, what did it for you? And, and I was looking for still, you know, how am I going to help? And she said, yeah, it's the only thing that made sense. didn't take me for God to save my mom and my grandfather and my grandmother and my father and my brother and now my sister and my cousin. I didn't have to do anything except be faithful to him and trust that he would do what he promised. Because every time I tried, I'd get broken until I died. And once I died, I entered a place called paradise. And it's the same thing we all have to do. It's the same plan. It's the same steps in every situation in our life. God has promised us all kinds of things. And every one of them are absolutes. And if you want those things in your life, if you want health and peace and happiness and family unity and all the things he said, stop helping. Trying to help just brings breakage. Instead of doing that, die to self. 
Realize you're not God. He's smarter than you. He knows what's going on. I was in Alabama one time speaking at a church, and I said, I made a comment. You know that Jesus was Jewish, right? And this very country, very, do they understand the word redneck here? Very redneck. Alabamian said, that's just because you didn't know better yet. And I said, so what you're telling me is God is kind of like Bugs Bunny. You know, in the Bugs Bunny where he pops his head up the, and he looks where he goes and says, oh, I thought I was going to Peoria or somewhere. You know, God is smart. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. And if he says it's going to happen, he knows it because he's already there. There's no question with him. And he really doesn't need us to help him to do what he promised to do. What he needs for us to do is to do the things he asked us to do, which is to be a witness, to shine the light, to love one another, to walk in unity. And all of the things he said, this is what you do, and this is what I'll do. And we spend most of our time trying to do his stuff and being disappointed and broken instead of just trusting him and doing our stuff. And I hope this was a blessing to you in some small way today. Pastor, rabbi, rabster. Thank you, David. Blessing. Thank you.